On August 27th, 1645, 18 men and women were accused, found guilty and executed for witchcraft. This was the single highest execution rate in one single day for the crime of witchcraft. All these men and women were part of a total 200 witches who would die in this area of England in a two-year period from 1645 to 1647 at the hands of one man. Son of a puritanical minister and born into a time period when even the king of the country would write books upon which witchcraft was perceived as a real threat in his book Demonology by James I, Matthew Hopkins would go by another title, the Witchfinder General. By the end of his reign of terror, 300 people would be slain. A truly terrifying number when you consider the grand total of deaths associated with witchcraft during this time period accumulated to around 500. And whilst there is many, many movies covering witchcraft and the wrongful persecution of those who were believed to have practised it, the majority of those would be focused on the Salem witch trials in Massachusetts. Very few movies, if any, truly represent this time period in England, bar one. And when casting this movie, only one man would take the mantle of Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General. And whilst that actor would be considerably older than Matthew Hopkins lived to in real life, it's hard to deny that the choice of Vincent Price as Matthew Hopkins isn't one of the legendary horror actor's finest hours. Hi, I'm Duncan McLeish and you're listening to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Ignition, T-10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0, liftoff. Welcome back to Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. This is episode number two of season three and the halfway mark of our first chapter looking at British folk horror. I just want to say up front thank you to everyone out there who expressed well wishes and some positive feedback for our return after an absence of about three years. It feels great to be back discussing purely European horror cinema. I also want to thank those who are new listeners who reached out to say that they were enjoying this show particularly against some of the other work that I do on podcasts under the stairs and such like. It's great to have your feedback and I hope you will continue to join us through this exploration of British folk horror. As always, the best way to give us feedback is to do it through our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash chronicle podcast. Alternatively, you can get in touch with us through the Flick Chat app. 
You can do that for the official Teapots Collective, which is available on FlickChat, which is a free app for Android and iOS. Our join code is TPUTSCAST. You jump across there and there's an individual message board on the main Teapots Collective feed for Chronicle Podcast. So you can give us more feedback and continue the discussions on these British folk horror movies directly over there. Now, two weeks ago, we discussed the first entry. It was a movie from way back in 1968. It was Whistle and I'll Come to You. This week, we're looking at a movie that came out the same year and would change the landscape for not only British folk horror, but also for how we would perceive an actor who was known for more campish sort of horror performances. And it's easy to see why this would put him on the map. Vincent Price turns in one of the most truly horrific performances of his entire career, playing malevolence with glee on screen in a way that he was unable to in movies prior and movies after this performance. It should surprise no one to know that Vincent Price would credit his performance as Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General, as one of the finest of his entire career. And when you look at that career, that is an accolade that should be taken very, very serious. There are few horror actors that garner the respect of not only their peers, but horror fans the world over than that of Vincent Price. However, things would not be all hunky-dory on sight. The director himself had not wanted to cast Price in the role, his preference being for that of Donald Pleasance. You might argue that the tension that ensued on set between director and actor led to a performance for the ages with Vincent Price pushing himself into unfamiliar territory and turning in a soberingly dark performance, it's now hard to imagine anyone else occupying the role. You are all of you confessed idolaters. However, these proceedings shall be carried out through due process of law. What law demands, we shall satisfy. You will each be tied in a prescribed fashion and cast into the moat. Should you then sink, we will know that your confessions are false. If, on the other hand, you are seen to swim or float, then your confessions of witchcraft are proven beyond a doubt in the sight of God, and you will be withdrawn from the water and hanged by the neck until you are dead. You can't help me! I will die! And who'd want to make you pregnant, witch? (laughs) Quiet. Stern, go on with your task. Hey, look! One of them's gone already! They swim. The mark of Satan is upon them. Give us a hand here, come on! They must hang. But that's not to say that the movie itself was all plain sailing upon its release. Heavy cuts would ensue at the hands of the British censors, who felt that the subject matter and the scenes of torture and violence on screen were too dark, perverse and realistic 
for members of the British public. The Sunday Times would complain that the 17th century hanging, burning, raping, screaming and Vincent Price as England's prize torturer overseer particularly nauseating. The Guardian would say that the film was filled with gratuitous sadism. And the Sunday Telegraph dismissed the movie as a sadistic extravaganza. Playwright Alan Bennett would publish in a column in The Listener that the movie should have been punctuated by belly laughs like all good horror movies should, and said that this humourless movie was the most persistently sadistic and morally rotten film he'd ever seen. Look, he still prays to Satan. Get on with your task. If the devil made you a priest, he's going to have hidden his mark with a lot of care. What premise is this? When the devil buys a soul, he marks the person's flesh, so we will know him. If such a mark is pricked, no blood will flow, nor pain be felt. The movie was released in the United States under the title The Conquering Worm to cash in on AIP's Poe-era Corman Productions. And the movie was supposed to be a bit of a tax write-off the heads of the studio were surprised by the quality, one of the best that they'd received from the UK in quite some time, and even remarked at how impressive and visceral Vincent Price's performance as the Witchfinder General was. Unlike the vitriolic hostility met in the UK, the movie itself did not bad with US critics. This could be down to the fact that, as noted in Danny Peary's cult movies book, that the film went nearly unnoticed overall upon its US release. He would say that the few snoozing trade reviewers who saw it treated it as just another entry in AIP's Edgar Allan Poe series, and as such, dismissed notices that future bookings were scarce. Contrasting opinions of the movie, stateside, would be a disgrace to the producers and scripters, and a sad commentary on the art of filmmaking. A film with such bestial brutality and orgastic sadism, one wonders how it ever passed customs to be released in this country. Which would be the review from The Hollywood Citizen. Now juxtapose that with a review written for The New York Times, who expressed that the film featured a number of attractive young aspiring stars who seem to have been cast mainly for their ability to scream. Price has a good time as a materialistic witch hunter and woman disfigurer and dismemberer, and the audience at the dark, ornate New Amsterdam seemed to have a good time as well. And whilst the movie fared relatively well stateside, the heavily cut version in the UK would be met with scorn and controversy for many years to come. In 1995, the movie was finally passed uncut by the BBFC. This was over 25 years after its original release. You're listening to Chronicle Podcast. Stick around. The movie is set during the English Civil War in 1945. Vincent Price would play Matthew Hopkins, the Witchfinder General, who is taking full advantage of the disarray of the country to torture and brutally extract confessions out of suspected witches. He does this under the guise of performing a service. He's not a pious individual, rather craves money and attention 
and the power that comes along with the ability to weave a finger and condemn someone to death. On screen, Price would be joined by Robert Russell, who would play John Stern, the accomplice of Matthew Hopkins. These two are travelling around what was then Suffolk, and without oversight, condemning as many people to death as they wish. The movie itself does not shy away for torture procedures used at the time, and this is probably what upset censors upon its original release. Burning, drowning and piercing the skin with many needles are but a few of the torture techniques used upon the screen to unsettle viewers and critics alike. However, it is worth noting that the historical figures used in this movie are not exactly historically accurate. Price's character's arrogance would unwittingly be his downfall. After abducting a soldier and his lover, condemning them both to death by trial of witchcraft, the soldier manages to break free his confines, kills Stern and then mutilates Price. In real life, Hopkins is suspected to have died of tuberculosis some two years after the time period of this movie. But that doesn't give us the pathos we require on screen for the vicious acts that we see. The disagreements on site during the production are legendary between director Michael Reeves and Vincent Price. Reeves would make no secret to anyone within eardrop distance that he was unhappy with the casting choice. Firstly, refusing to meet Price at Heathrow Airport, which was seen as a, quote, deliberate snub calculated to offend both Price and AIP. Price would reportedly say, take me to your goddamn young genius, Reeves being only 24 when he directed this movie. And legend tells of their first meeting, where their young director, Michael Reeves, would say to Vincent Price, I didn't want you and I still don't want you, but I'm stuck with you. In the book Nightmare Movies, written by Kim Newman, Price would apparently object to the director, saying, I have made 87 films and what have you done, with Reeves saying, I've made three good ones. Something about this animosity between director and actor, I believe personally, adds to Vincent Price's performance. Upon seeing the movie the following year, Price would admit that he finally understood what Reeves had been after and wrote the young director a 10-page letter praising the film. Reeves wrote Price back, saying, I knew you would think so. And years after Reeves' death, Price would say, I realised he wanted a low-key, very laid-back, menacing performance. He did get it, but I was fighting him almost every step of the way. Had I known what he wanted, I would have cooperated. And it's truly upon re-examining and reviewing this movie, even in 2020, you can understand that Price's performance is very different from what had came before and certainly what came after. If you compare his performance as Matthew Hopkins against the abominable Dr. Fibes of Edward Lionheart in Theatre of Blood, released in 71 and 73 respectively, The vicious acts played out by Price as an actor are vicious and lacking in the campy, coated glee 
that you would see in his other roles. Another underplayed aspect of this movie and one that certainly adds to its longevity is the score composed by Paul Ferris. Sadly, it would take many years for this particular score to be available on the US release. It was instead replaced by a very generic sounding synthesizer score by Kendall Schmidt. The movie ultimately now has a cult status as well after the tragedy that befell Michael Reeves, who sadly died one year after the release of the movie due to an accidental alcohol overdose. Now this far into the review in the episode, I know what you're thinking. Duncan, this season we're looking at folk horror. Why are we talking about Witchfinder in general? Well, the answer is really simple. The atmosphere, the cinematography and the time period, the setting and placement and the use of the countryside, the villages and the unspeakable acts that happen there within. The author and folk horror expert Adam Scoville, who runs the great website The Celluloid Wicker Man, would note that three films in particular make up what he classes as the unholy trinity of folk horror, with Witchfinder General sitting comfortably amongst two other classics of the genre. He would note that the rural setting and engagement with isolated belief systems provide the folk horror component. It's what we noted in the previous episode. Characters, situations and circumstances that go on to a point where you become out of your depth and are too far in to escape. Add to this the general paranoia and misuse of power within this film. The ability to turn one man upon another to show the evil that lies within men's hearts and the ability to corrupt said evil are just a few of the reasons why the movie shines as a pillar of the folk horror genre. Scoville would note that this unholy trilogy would be underpinned by human sacrifice, the skewing of dominant moral and theological systems enough to cause violence, and even demonic and supernatural summonings. But back to the movie itself. After its release in 1968, the landscape would change for horror cinema in the UK. And within a few years, we would see the golden age of folk horror cinema. The effects would go beyond that, with copycat movies in the works. You only have to look at Mark of the Devil from 1970, a movie that we discussed on the previous season of Chronicle. Please go back and check out that review for more details. And lastly, to note, in 2016, director Nicholas Winden Refn revealed that he'd bought the remake rights to Witchfinder General, although no signs of that project have emerged since. The remaining two movies in the Unholy Trinity will also be covered in this season of Chronicle podcast, that of Blood on Satan's Claw and The Wicker Man. But those reviews are for a different episode. I'm going to place this iron on your back. Should you faint or cry out, we can only take it that Satan has intervened to spare you your agony. However, I could show mercy if... If Captain Marshall were to confess to witchcraft first, what will you do it, sir? I shall kill you. And you've been listening to Chronicle Season 3, Episode Number 2, with a review of 
the Witchfinder General from 1968. As always, thank you very much for taking this journey with me through this review. And don't worry, it's only two weeks until we return once again. On the end of chapter one of this third season of Chronicle, we are closing out with another Vincent Price Witch Hunter movie, Cry of the Banshee from 1970. That episode will drop in two weeks time before we take a small hiatus and return with chapter number two. As always, I look forward to hearing your feedback on these episodes and you can do it by checking out the Facebook group page for Chronicle Podcast, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Chronicle Podcast. Come across, become a member of the group page and let us know how you're getting on with the journey. Also, remember, you need to be subscribed to the Teapots Collective feed to get these shows as and when they drop. Also, on the Collective, you have Opera Omnia, which is a director filmography exclusive podcast with season one looking at Ben Wheatley. The movie that we'll be covering next on that podcast will be Kill List, a movie we will be covering under the guise of Chronicle later on in this season. You can also check out Doing the Nasty, which is a video nasty only podcast. Myself and Mark Ball are looking at the tier 3 movies. So make sure you're subscribed to Teapots Collective wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also check out our website, teaputscast.com, which will give you access to all the shows over there. And while you're at it, if you haven't already yet, check out my main show, The Podcast Under the Stairs. Chronicle Podcast was written and recorded by me for you. Until we speak in two weeks' time, remember that power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are always bad men, even when they exercise influence and not authority. Still more when you are super add the tendency or the certainty of corruption by authority. This is Duncan McLeish for Chronicle Podcast, an almanac of old world horrors. Until the next time. Ignition. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Lift off.